Thank you. Thank you very much and welcome. I'm Father Mitch Packwell. Welcome to EWTN Live, where we bring you guests from around the world. And tonight, we'll talk about one of the top Catholic pilgrimage sites in the world, where, according to our guest, miraculous healings still take place every day. But first, I want to speak briefly with Jack Williams about what's happening in EWTN Radio. Jack, what you got for us? This what's time? this briefly stuff? Well, you heard me. Yeah, I think they added that on purpose based uh. on the <laughs> previous uh, efforts. No, I just wanted to stop by. You know, it's been a while since I've been here, actually, yes. with the holidays and everything that's, that's going on. Uh, just to remind everybody what we do at EWTN Radio. Uh, for those of you who love the network, and I know most of the people watching now are people that love the network, mm -hmm. but occasionally, right, you're in a position, whether you're cutting the grass or driving the car or somewhere where you can't watch TV, EWTN Radio is there for you uh, to still enjoy the wonderful content we have with a lot of your favorite personalities that you would know from TV, yourself, Johnette, Dr. David Anders, Ray Garendi, uh, people that you would know from EWTN television, you'll find on EWTN radio. And the beauty of EWTN radio is you can talk to them. See? It's live and interactive almost yeah. all day long. Yeah. And you can find EWTN radio and all that great programming on just about every streaming platform known to man. First of all, on the EWTN app. Yep. If, if anybody out there in the audience doesn't have the EWTN app, they need to get it. It's very easy. It's available in all the app stores. How much the, does it cost? The low, low price of free. Your kind of app. It's free. And yeah, you, can, you can listen at EWTN.com. You can find us on Sirius XM Channel 130, as I said, all the streaming devices. And you can hear us on over 390 AM FM stations across the United States. And if you want to find a station near you where you can listen or find out anything else about EWTN Radio, our programming, um, you know, where we can be heard, all of the platforms that we're on, all you have to do is go to EWTN.com slash radio. Okay. I don't know all the slashes. Well, I tried to, I tried to, <laughs> I set you up and you still didn't come through. No, okay. I don't know anything. And so, but anyway, actually, you know, the, the radio re work is really great. Um, I helped out at one of the fundraisers uh, for the radio station in Jasper, Indiana, mm -hmm. um, and just was with uh, the, some of the folks from there just this past Thursday. They came mm -hmm. down south, so saw them. They had a wonderful so, event there in, in Jasper, Indiana. Yep. Tri-State Catholic Radio. Yep. Yep. So Steve Leaguers and his whole team there, a shout exactly. out to those folks. Exactly. That's who I was with just this last week. So these, these are good folks doing great things, mm -hmm. and um, hopefully you would do that. Absolutely. Right. I think my briefly is up. Okay. <laughs> we'll be back in a couple brief minutes So uh, with tonight's guest, so please stay with us. Welcome back. Our guest tonight comes from Syracuse, New York. And with the help of the Holy Spirit and her friends and family, despite her debilitating agoraphobia, she managed to get on an international flight and she went to Lourdes, France, to Our Lady's Grotto, where she experienced an incredible healing. This changed her life so profoundly that she decided to become a volunteer at Lourdes, helping pilgrims at the baths. These remarkable experiences led her to form the Our Lady of Lourdes Hospitality North American Volunteers. She's here to tell us about the special meaning Lourdes holds for her and for so many other people and ways that you might be able to experience your own healing or perhaps help someone else experience their healing by volunteering at Lord. So please welcome the author of a brand new book, 
called Everyday Miracles of Lord, 20 Extraordinary Experiences Along the Way to the Grotto. Marlene Watkins. Marlene, good to have you back. Good to see you again, Father. It's good to have you back again with us. And, you know, this is your first book? Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's probably something of a surprise, huh? Yes. Well, it's good that you've done this. It's it's very nice. And one of the the things that I like about uh, the beginning of it especially is where you speak about the meaning of Lord itself. Um, just give a, a little background. Not everybody in our audience knows what happened at Lourdes back in 1858. Well, in 1858, the Mother of God came down from heaven and she appeared to a little girl named Bernadette Subirous, um in the grotto, which is like a little cave on the side of the beautiful mountain with a little niche above the cave. And Bernadette, the little girl she appeared to, was poor and uneducated, so she's very simple. Um, she's intelligent and bright, but not educated. And uh, she said she's formed out of a beautiful light. And this beautiful lady appears to her 18 times. And inside those 18 heavenly visits, incredible things happen. And, and some of them are miracles that begin to happen. She tells her to drink and wash of a spring. Bernadette doesn't see where it is. She digs in the ground and the water bubbles up. To this day, there's 30 to 35,000 gallons a day of this natural spring water. And right away, miracles begin to happen. Biblical. Yeah, I mean, she had to dig away dirt, yes. and then there was mud, and yeah. then after a while, water started to yes. come. And but she, not right it's away. enough to drink of it. It takes her a while. It's muddy, like you said, and then eventually it becomes more clear. And it's biblical-like miracles, like the first miracle is a, a paralysis that's cured. And then the next one is a blind eye that's cured. So it's reminiscent of the, the New Testament and the Gospels of Jesus performing the miracles. And a miracle is something that's beyond us, something we can't do. As Father John Paul Mary says, uh, you know, it shows us that God is God and we're just us. Yeah. So that's how they know that that's Jesus is performing these miracles. But that's the same God then that there is now. And he's still performing miracles. And they happen at Lourdes all the time. And that's probably what Lourdes is most famous for. One of the other things is that uh, Our Lady did not reveal her identity right away. So Bernadette didn't call her the Blessed Virgin. She didn't call her Blessed Mary, anything like that. She just said she's that one. A Carol in mm -hmm. her dialect, because where Bernadette's from, they don't speak proper French, they speak a dialect. And in her valley, that dialect, she says that or that one. Uh, she's too beautiful to call just by any woman's name, and she doesn't know her name. Mm -hmm. And so when the time comes that um, Bernadette asks her three times and once more, because the priest wants to know, wise pastor, who's this lady that, that wants a church built, who wants mm -hmm. people to come here in procession? Um, and she asks three times once more, and she says, Our Lady trembles when she says, uh, I am the Immaculate Conception. And Bernadette's never heard that before. She doesn't know what that means, so she repeats it over and over and over again, running all the way to where the priest is in the presbytery. And she rushes through the gate, and she blurts it out, I am the Immaculate Conception, and he's stunned. What are you saying? And she said, I'm the Immaculate Conception, that's her name. And the priest, of course, is shocked. This is a dogma that he knows there's only one person there's in all eternity that, that has this, this name, this title. And it's not just her title, it's who she is. And so this Bernadette, of course, couldn't know it. He throws her out, closes the door, slams the door. They say, why did you do that? He said, because I was going to cry, because he realized that's the mother of God. And it's also worth noting that the dogma Oh, the Immaculate Conception had just been formally defined about four years before yes. the apparition. Mm -hmm. And so it, what, not only is she a simple person herself, not well educated, but this was just recently defined. And, you know, that kind of news didn't get over to this small Back, backwater town of... Yeah, and she wouldn't have known it in French. She couldn't read it in French or Latin, and she wouldn't have known it, not going to school anyway. And later, she goes and asks someone, what is that? She doesn't know what that means. Mm -hmm. And of course, 
the church has always known, we've always known, but they clarify for us if we ever have confusion. Mm -hmm. It's the beauty of the magisterium. It, it helps us to stay true to the truth. So they just formally proclaim it for us to know something that's always been known. So it's that Mary is conceived without sin. She's pure and perfect the vessel to give birth to Christ. And so that confirms for the church that's who the lady is that's in the grotto. And something about the apparition and the definition of the Immaculate Conception that I just want to put out there because I think this is part of the story of, of Lord. This comes in the eight, middle of the 1800s. Mm -hmm. And some people say, well, why did it take so long? But if you think back, in the early 1700s, the French philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau mm -hmm. began to teach a, a denial of original sin. He, he began saying this, and that idea that there is no such thing as original sin, everybody is born as a noble savage. That, that was his term. Uh, and this idea that you, all you need to do is get rid of the church and the government, the rules, the laws, and people will naturally be good. A theory that is still being enacted today among these various district attorneys and other folks who are not prosecuting. If you just don't prosecute them, don't put them in jail, they'll learn to be really good. And the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception reminds us, no, all of us have original sin. She's the one exception. We are not. Mm -hmm. And we're sinners. This is a very important part because you bring out in your book how the waters at Lourdes are a sort of washing in Mary's purity. Mm -hmm. And I really was captivated by that. I thought that was a marvelous point that you make. Well, and I think the 20 chapters are completely different. These people are real people. Their picture is in the book, not their last name, but their, their actual experience that's so extraordinary. Mm -hmm. And each of them was different, but often there's, there is that, the, the purity and the, the washing away, the, the um, and you know, anybody who has an issue that might be of impurity, purity is the solution. And you know, sometimes if we run to our mother when we, we need that maternal guidance or care, and mm -hmm. each of these people had an extraordinary experience in some way. Some of them are in the baths or through the water, but some of them are also through the Holy Eucharist, of course, the mother of the Eucharist. So there's always um, an extraordinary experience that comes through the grace of Lords, but they didn't necessarily go to the medical bureau or to be qualified as a miracle in the mm -hmm. church, but that grace that comes with it, the, the renewal. And one, one young woman in there says that her purity was restored. It had been robbed from her, but in Lord, she felt it was washed for her and spiritually restored. Mm -hmm. This, uh, I think that's a very important element that uh, a, we have a, a certain element of our culture that promotes indecency and impurity. Mm -hmm. You know, it's in, not only in pornography, it's in commercials and the language. It's, 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 it permeates the media. Hollywood wants to project onto us what they themselves are doing. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of impurity. And going to Our Lady, especially at Lord Immaculate Conception, is a way to get healing from that kind yes. of impurity. Yes, there are people who find healing from addictions, from, um, you know, uh, one woman says there was a hole in her. Um, she had suffered for, um, for decades with this hole in her and, and nothing would, would fill it. And she said the liquid grace filled that hole for her. Mm -hmm. And she measures a life from up till that day and then after that day. It was mm -hmm. such a profound healing for her. Mm -hmm. But you can't x-ray that. No, so, no, no, you know. no. That those, those spiritual healings are actually the longest lasting ones mm -hmm. because they go into eternity. The healing of the yes. body mm -hmm. ends with the body. Yes. You make the point in there that eventually everybody dies. Yes. You know, that, that's inevitable. Mm -hmm. But the spiritual healing can last for all eternity. Yes.
Yeah, and that's profound. So we see that in these graces at Lourdes, it changes the way some people live their lives here, which is profound and important, but it changes for many um, going to the other world, that returning to the church, returning to the sacraments, or finding faith, um, that's, that's forever, like you said. That's, mm -hmm. So that really is a, a profound healing. Yes. An eternal healing. Yes, and, and this is something that um, is the most important, but at the same time, these other miracles that you have here, that is, which are sometimes physical, they mm -hmm. do help us to see that what the Lord is doing to the body makes maybe a model for what he's doing to our souls. Mm -hmm. Tell us about some of these episodes here. Well, they're extraordinary. The woman that I mentioned that had the hole in her um, was forced to an abortion as a young teenager because um, in Scotland, the parent has the right when the child is a minor. And um, she just suffers with that. And when it came to writing... Her, her own mother yes. made her abort. Yes, they were not Catholics. They mm -hmm. were not Christians and mm -hmm. um, or of any faith. And she, and she thought it was her good protective nature as a mother to get her daughter into higher education that she would have to have this abortion. And, and she, what's really a grace here too is she did not hold that against her mother. She fills the liquid grace, the whole, and cares for her mother um, and, and stays in touch with her always. So that was another part of that, that grace overflowing that filled the whole. But um, for her, she was willing to share her story in this book that she'd never shared. People who did not know, she went on to marry and have seven children. But when I asked her, would you know, would you consider this being in this book? Um, and she said, I think there's other women who might have a hole in them and maybe they need to know mm -hmm. that um, mm -hmm. they can go to Lourdes or they can have a virtual pilgrimage. They can get Lourdes water from you because uh, we send Lourdes water out all over. So if anybody wants any. So she she just really felt that 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 needed to be shared. And that's with each of the chapters in this book, each of the people, the one commonality is they all have a deep humility that God so profoundly touched their lives and that they don't feel they can hide it or conceal it. They have to proclaim it, they have to say it, but they never expected it to be in a book and neither did I. And there's others in there, you know, suffering from grief. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, different woundedness we have, uh, the different people in the book that um, the obstacle to, you know, uh, the Franciscan story, the last obstacle to total love, somebody who knows they're dying and but they harboring a little secret of something that's uh, made them so uncomfortable their whole life and they go to Lourdes and it just, she said her heart just was exploding. She, what is this? And so she hears the story of Francis and the last obstacle to total love, overcoming that. It's the story of Francis with the, um, meets the leper. And back then they would ring a bell and everybody would run the other way. And, and Francis, one of the great saints of our faith, He's terrified of leprosy, of Hansen's disease, but instead he feels this grace. He jumps off his horse. He embraces this man, which was dangerous. You could be contagion mm -hmm. and, and not cured. And as soon as he does that, our Lord disappears, and he realizes he has just overcome his last obstacle to total love. And so she experiences this at Lourdes, and it just changes the last few weeks of her life. And from that, she writes a beautiful letter and uh, to her family and friends saying, I, I wish everyone could go. We all need this grace for different reasons and different ways. Mm -hmm. And from that, people respond to her desire. And there's a, a fund called Andrea's Wish, named after her. It was her wish and is, is sent so many people to Lourdes that are in need of a grace, in need of a healing. Some of them are physical. There is um, one particular chapter in the book, a woman who's cured of Lou Gehrig's disease, which is incurable. And that is one that is not in the baths or from well, the water. Well, incurable by medicine. True. Yeah. Our divine physician not, is not constrained there. Yeah. And it's at the elevation of the Holy Eucharist with um, Pope Benedict XVI that mm. she says a shaft of heat overcomes her whole body and she no longer needs a feeding tube or a wheelchair. So she was in the process of evaluation at the Medical Bureau in Lourdes. And um, after 10 years, there's, you know, one of the things that happens is we have a really exhaustive, wonderful church that, um, you know, teaching they follow the Lambertini criteria, very strict about what is a miracle. So to be qualified in the church, it's an extensive, exhaustive research. And the medical director says that at Lourdes, um, he's an unusual physician. Usually you get sick and you go to the doctors. 
people come to him when they're well and they're cured to say so. He's kind of the reverse doctor. Yeah. And then he has to prove that this person had this. So there has to be <laughs> documentation, x-rays and blood tests. So you can't x-ray a hole that's filled with grace. You, you can't x-ray a, a veteran who returns from war and is, is uh, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder and then finds peace and, and forgiveness for himself and for, for others for the wounds of war, but you can't measure that, you can't x-ray it, so right. it doesn't go to the medical bureau, but that doesn't make it any less of a true miracle. It's right. just not proclaimed by the church. But I, I, one of the points that you also make is this distinction. There are 70 miracles that have been declared miracles by the church, right? Yes. And then there's 7,200 mm -hmm. verified healings. Why do they make that distinction? Well, I think, and the numbers are even increasing now. I, I, since COVID, it might even be more than that, I would have to ask, but the files are well over 7,200. Those are people who have come forward and said, I experienced something and they've gone through the scientific process. But it takes a bishop, not a doctor, to say that a miracle has happened. And they don't teach miracle in medical school. No. Um, that's a holy word, so that's left to you and, and uh, to the, the, the bishops to make that proclamation. And then the doctors say, we can't explain um, why this person's cured. We can't explain why this person's living or they're walking or they're seeing, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. They say, we, we can't explain it. It's then the bishop who says, this is the hand of God. And some bishops just don't choose to go forward with that. Sometimes there um, will be other reasons of their medical documentation because, you know, we have the HIPAA laws here, so documents are protected, but that also made a cutoff that a lot of medical records after seven years are destroyed. So it's a 10-year process about an average in the medical bureau. So sometimes records aren't available or, you know, there'll be different reasons that sure. the cause doesn't go forward. But it, it doesn't mean that uh, a miracle didn't happen. It just means that it's not publicly proclaimed. Yeah, the, the, ch the church wants to be careful yes. that we don't go around saying everything is a miracle. Mm -hmm. I, if I find a parking place in Manhattan, <laughs> that's that is a, a great thing, but we're not going to count that as an right. act of God. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's as marvelous as it could be. Yeah. And this is uh, something where the, the church is it's important in our present society. The church is not opposed to science. The church wants, and they don't say that the doctor has to be a practicing Catholic, do they? No. It's not a Catholic yes stamp. There, there are scientists and physicians from around the world of all different faiths and no faith at all. Yeah, so atheists are welcome yes, to sit on the anybody board. anybody is welcome to come yep. and look at these records and review them themselves. Yes. And, uh, and the medical director is very open. Please come, come and see. Um, and it, it, you know, see if, discover, can you explain how these cures happen? So he invites uh, people to come and look at that uh, around the world. And, that, and recently on CBS, he just made that invitation, um, you know, and be open-minded. And the bishop says, open your heart, open your mind, come and see the incredible uh, graces that happen here. Mm -hmm. But the, you're right, we, I, I love the prudence of the church. We need yeah. that. We need the church to tell us that, mm -hmm. you know, and of course a parking space in Manhattan is a little miraculous because I'm from upstate New York, but, but it is not a miracle of the no. church. And these, we call them everyday miracles. These are incredible, extraordinary experiences. And you know, if Father, if there was just a one or two of those, you could say, well, you know, maybe that's like a coincidence, but these are such God instances that happen over and over again at Lord's. Yes. We know there's a grace there. Yeah. And they're so profound that conversions, reversions, healings, and everyone's so completely different, a different, you know, crisis or need um, or woundedness that's there or physical condition. And you mentioned to me earlier today that there was recently a priest who was healed. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so we had a radio, we were on a radio show this morning and the call came in about a priest named Father Holloway and he had announced, I think a year or so ago, and I remembered this, that he announced that he had a, a terminal brain tumor 
and that he was offering his suffering and his life for, and he's a young priest, offering it for the victims of uh, priestly abuse. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that anybody heard much from him more after that. And then we had, a, you know, back in communication, back and forth with Father about him coming to Lourdes with us this year in October as a chaplain for the sick and dying as we go with the disabled. In October, we go to France from the different gateways from the U.S. and with doctors and nurses. And um, so he had signed on, but I, I realized he had had a brain tumor and he had been cured at Lourdes, but I didn't know it was the same priest that had, had said this a year ago publicly. And so just yesterday, I think it was, or the day before, Father was on YouTube and announced that he was cured at Lourdes of his brain tumor. And then I realized that's the priest that's coming with us. He said he would have called in because um, the studio had asked if he would be willing to do that. Mm -hmm. But he's such a dedicated priest that he's um, at mass and with his parish. He has a dinner tonight with his parish and then RCIA. So he's not able to call in, but um, that's really profound to the media. It's caught the attention of the media that he's um, announced this publicly that he's cured. He was at Lourdes last June, mm -hmm. and he'll be returning this October with a second. This Father John Hollowell. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's, that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. And, you know, these, these kind of healings uh, have had great impact. In fact, even the famous uh, novel, or not novel, but the, the book and the movie Song of Bernadette, mm -hmm. Uh, was written by a Jewish man. Yes. You know, but he was impressed with it. But he was impressed, first of all, that the people of Lourdes helped hide yes. him from the yes. Nazis. Yes. And so that he could escape to Spain, which he did. Mm -hmm. And he had promised Our Lady yeah. that he would write that book yes. if he got to England, which he did, yeah. and he wrote the book. Yes, so he promised if he made his way to America, ultimately, that he would sing the song of Bernadette to the world, which is the yeah. name of his book and his movie. And the good people there uh, did hide him, and they gave him safe passage through the Pyrenees Mountains to Spain to make his way through Morocco, French Morocco, to, to escape to America. And that, that passage was dangerous, and they were oh, yeah. faithful Catholics that he was so moved by the love of Bernadette and the story of Bernadette that he wanted to share it. And that's why there's a few little sort of inaccuracies in the book and movie because as a, as a non-Catholic, he didn't quite understand all of the things, but he did see the piety and faithfulness of people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was very moving to him and they, they, they saved him and, and, and got him to safety. And I think the reason I mentioned him, for one thing, that movie, is a, a, won an Academy Award. Yes, and this mm -hmm. this is when Hollywood was pro-religion. Mm -hmm. You know, they were very supportive of religion in their day, um, uh, and that was a good example. But it, it these physical healings may not be into eternity, but it can touch the heart uh, by getting people's attention yeah. in a world like ours where miracles don't seem to happen anymore. Mm -hmm. People say that, you know, uh, that's a line in the movie Moonstruck. There are no more miracles. You know, that's a long time ago. Well, that's not true. Oh. Miracles are still occurring. Yes, and that, you know, Jesus performing the miracles is how they knew he was God. It showed yes. them it's beyond us. And, and he's still performing these miracles today for us. Yeah. It's still the same God and still the same awesome miracles. And that's why we're grateful for the Medical Bureau and the church to tell us, just like the canonization process where uh, someone is interceding for a miracle, it's a very thorough study. And that gives us that, you know, I say, Lord's is the gospel fast forwarded to today. It's go. really present now. Yeah, you really bring up that a key part of Lord is its presentation of the gospel. Yes. And this is key. We have to uh, take a little break, but if you want to find out more information on the Lord Grotto and the North American Lord Volunteers, go online and you can go to lordsvolunteers.org. Lordsvolunteers.org. And that'll be a way for you to get in contact with them, either to go yourself as someone who is looking for a healing or to go as someone to help others who are seeking that healing as volunteers. So in any either case, we'd love to have you go.
We'll be back in just a couple of minutes, so please stay with us. We want to hear your questions and comments as well. Now, th this book that we've been talking about is called Everyday Miracles of Lord, 20 Extraordinary Experiences Along the Way to the Grotto. It was written by our guest, Marlene Watkins. You can get it as a pre-order. It's not out there yet, but there's a pre-order that you can do at EWTNRC.com. And it is item number 8343. And as soon as it's hot off the press, you can get your copy. It's well worth reading these very touching stories. You ready for some questions? Sure. First question I have is, what's this mouse doing here? <laughs> well, she's a little church mouse. Yes. And her name is Lulu. And um, she uh, fell out of my pocket um, actually off the gospel into my pocket and she's going to make some travel adventures with us as we share the book. Um, we're leaving for France this weekend mm -hmm. so we'll be in um, Lourdes and Nevers and Paris. We're then going on to England and to Ireland and then we're going across America the Beautiful to share this book and the stories of the book and we're going to go to the places where the different people come from in the United States mm -hmm. um, to share their stories in the book and um, this little church mouse is going to uh, follow along and ask some good questions that some um, little people might want to know. Okay. Um, some young ones. So that's a uh, little Lulu, and she's um, but she's a little mischievous. But she did avoid your cats today. Yeah. When I was over for tea. Smart mouse. <laughs> we have a question from our studio audience, sir. Where are you from? I'm from Arndale. Uh, right here uh, in uh, hometown Arndale. Yes. What can we do for you today? Ah. Uh, in regards to modern-day healings and miraculous things of that nature, 25 years ago, Mother Angelica was healed of being crippled. Yes. And it took place during an apparition of the Virgin Mary, which took place right in this building. Right. A woman from Italy came over who apparently was having apparitions. Mother didn't know why she came here, but they came and prayed the rosary in Mother's office. Right. And during right. that... They were, while they were saying the rosary, Our Lady appeared to this Italian woman, and Mother was healed of being crippled. I worked here at the time. Yeah. And I saw Mother every day with her crutches and her canes and her braces. And the morning after that happened, Mother Angelica came out in the parking lot, showed all of its employees. She had no canes, crutches, or braces. She actually grabbed one of the brothers and danced around the parking lot. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just... It's worth mentioning, I think, just to give people hope that miraculous things and miraculous healings aren't all hundreds of years ago. That's they right. They happened in the modern day. This happened in 1998. Right. This, this past Saturday was the 25th anniversary. Right? Yeah, that's, that was just 25 years ago, and I remember that very well. I used to tell Moses that hugging you is like hugging an erector set. Okay. And there's all these braces and things, you know, that are up and down her, from her neck down to her ankle, you know, and, uh, and she was totally healed. Yeah. That's just remarkable, remarkable. Yeah. Thank you for that, because yeah. that's, that's true. These miracles are still happening. Exactly. Yeah, the, the, and I think part of the importance of that is uh, in a world that would like to say that God is inactive or God mm -hmm. is dead, yeah. it's not the case. No. no, not the case at all. Where are you from, young man? <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Leeds, Alabama. Leeds, Alabama. Of course, a lot of our viewer, viewing audience knows uh, Noah from TV, so you've been on plenty of shows. What can we do for you today? Well, I have a question. A person may say, well, Lourdes is over there among the French and the Spanish. I only know English. 
I would have great difficulty if I went over there. I'd be speaking English with few English people about me. How could I expect to get help and have a good time? Well, should I answer that for Yes. Well, Lourdes is an international place. And um, we say the, the inter international language of Lourdes is love. And love overcomes all obstacles. So we find a way to communicate. But the reality is, since Lourdes Volunteers was founded, um, when we first began, there were only 16 American volunteers officially at the sanctuary. There are now thousands. So there are more people speaking English. And we, of course, are there bringing um, you know, the sick to Lourdes, and we're speaking English, and we have French speakers among us, and so we're able to communicate. Mm -hmm. But the grace, it knows no boundaries. And they would, they also have people from other countries oh, yes. who are, are helping out so that Absolutely. folks from around the world mm -hmm. do come there and oh, yeah. the volunteers are available for them. Yeah. And English is the most commonly spoken language in the world. But yeah. there are, you know, faithful Irish and um, Scottish and Welsh and English volunteers who come from Australia even. So there are some English speakers there and we are part of that um, going to serve in the sanctuary. Great. We have a caller online. Hello, Linda. Hi, Father. How are you doing? Fine, thanks. You're from New York, huh? Upstate New York, Albany Diocese. Okay, great. Good to have you with us. What can we do for you today? Father, I am a home health care worker, and I've been taking care of a man. He's Indian, as from India. Yeah. And his family... Um, He's been sick for 30 years. His father was a doctor, and he was studying to be a doctor and got a debilitating disease, ME. And for the last seven years, I've basically been watching him die. He's, down, he's 5'10", he's down to 122, 23 pounds. And I've been praying for him, of course, all this time. And I've talked to him a little bit, but he doesn't believe in anything. His father insisted on having somebody from the Muslim community pray for him, and he didn't want it, but he was forced into it. Nothing ever came of it. When I asked him about having some people come pray for him, he said to me, and if nothing happens, then what do I do? And I'd never really thought about that. He says, you build up your hopes and nothing happens. But I continue to pray. And I heard last week that in praying, you should ask for the most. You, if, like somebody's starving, you ask for a piece of bread, it gets a piece of bread. But if you ask for a whole meal, it gets a meal. That's better. If you just ask for the whole meal and you got a piece of bread, you haven't, you haven't lost anything, basically. So I had been asking God to help him to feel better. And last week I was feeling discouraged, and I'm going, heck, God, I'm not asking for him to get better, I'm asking for healing, complete healing. But then after that, I thought about it, and I, I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, I hope my faith is enough. And what my question is, is does he have to have faith for him to be healed? So this lady believes, and she trusts in our Lord, but what about the gentleman himself? Well, when Bernadette was asked, how much Lord's water do we need? She said, one drop in faith. But she didn't say whose faith. And mm -hmm. I've, I've witnessed myself uh, that people who have no faith that come, it's someone with them or someone else who has the faith. Yeah. And they do have uh, a, a miraculous experience in Lord's, not through their own faith. But God's mercy is so great um, that uh, he doesn't require um, for, you know, d different limits aren't placed on him and his mercy. His, his mercy's endless. So keep praying and we'll pray and we'll send you some Lord's water if you'd like. Yeah, uh, you might want to make contact, Linda, uh, with the lordvolunteers.org, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, go, go to that, that website and you're not far away uh, from no. Syracuse. next diocese over. Yeah, so um, you, you may want to do that and Maybe a couple of volunteers can go and pray with him too. But here's the other thing. The fact that he said, well, what if nothing happens? One of the things that I suspect is that he doesn't want God to look bad. So he's afraid to ask so that God doesn't disappoint. And that he wants God to look 
you know, like, you know, like he's still in charge. And so I don't want to challenge him to do something because if he doesn't, then he'll look bad. I suspect that behind that is, in his own way, a certain love of God. And one of the things that you might just say to him is, look, you know, don't, God will take care of himself. He still remains infinite, and he'll take good care of himself. So don't worry about that. Ask for the grace of faith. Ask to trust in God and his mercy. And if he's from a Muslim background, as you mentioned, emphasize how he can ask for God's mercy and compassion. Muslims pray to God who is merciful and compassionate. That's, that's a big part of their prayer. Uh, and so this would be a good way to help reach to his own mindset and not worry about protecting God. God will be fine. We have a question from our studio audience. Ma'am, where are you from? Perry Hall, Maryland, Father. Good to have you here. Welcome. Thank Welcome. you. What can we do for you this evening? I was blessed to go to Lourdes in 1994 with two of my sons, and we saw thousands and thousands of people there, as you said. And I wonder how you respond to all those thousands and thousands who don't get healed. Because when we got back from Lourdes, um, uh, having lots of folks in the family ill, they wanted to know how come we weren't. Yeah, right, right. Good, very good question. Very good question, thank you. And a lot of people have said to me, and I've witnessed this a lot, where they'll say, I didn't get what I wanted, but I got what I needed. Um, and nobody goes home empty-handed. There's a grace. We say, you know, once the water gets on you, it may take a while to sink in, but it's still there at that grace. So, uh, and some people come who are terminally ill who say that, um, you know, they knew that they were going to die eventually, um, probably sooner than they would have wanted. They know that that's the prediction, but um, they received a great grace to die in, um, in peace and to spend the rest of their life in great peace and uh and it comes over them in a way that they can uh, be closer to God and closer to those they love. Mm -hmm. So uh, nobody leaves empty-handed. There's always a grace. You wouldn't go see the mother of God, and uh, she'd for sure, you know, give give something from her son to you. To go back to the first gentleman that talked about Mother Angelica's healing mm -hmm. here, Mother did go to Lourdes. Yes. And uh, she, somebody flew her over there mm -hmm. uh, after she had had her hemorrhage, her cerebral hemorrhage. Mm -hmm. And she was looking for that physical healing. Mm -hmm. She would have loved to have another one, mm -hmm. you know, for, so she could speak again. Mm -hmm. But she didn't get that. But she did get a type of healing about acceptance of what had happened to her. She who had been one of the best evangelists in the world, you know, uh, she couldn't speak anymore. Mm -hmm. And so that healing and uh, of acceptance was uh, of what's going on and seeing this is where God wants me, that was her healing. So it's that, sometimes and that there happens. Is, there is a lot of that. And in fact, I've asked a lot of people who come to Lourdes who are not Catholic, why do they come to this Catholic sanctuary or shrine? Um, and they say, because we know it works. You either come and you're cured, or you come and you get um, acceptance and grace and a peacefulness. Um, so you leave with something that's needed either way. So that's the answer I've heard so many times from people who are not Christians or not Catholics, that yeah. they know that there's a grace there, yeah. um, one way or the other. Or for some, they come, not asking to be healed for themselves, but for their, their husband or their wife to um, have peace or uh, acceptance or to come back to the church. And it happens. It does happen. Mm -hmm. But not everyone is cured just in the same way that not every person that met Jesus was cured either. Mm -hmm. Not every single person. Uh, he had a lot of trouble with that in Nazareth, <laughs> his hometown. Yeah. You know. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's true. 
Let's go over to Regina in Ohio. What can we do for you, Regina? Hi, Father, and hi, Marlene. I watched the rosary on uh, EWTN, and I'm curious. I see the people walking along. Can you hear me? Yeah, we hear you. Okay. I see the people walking along below the statue of the grotto, and they're all touching the wall. What's the significance of that? Thank you for that, because a lot of people ask, and we have been entrusted with pieces of the grotto to bring to people who might not ever make it to Lourdes. And it's a very profound experience for people. We think of it as the touchstone to heaven. It's where the feet of the Mother God stood. So we consider it a massive relic uh, that we can touch, and it's being near where, um, where she stood and where Bernadette was. Uh, some people have very profound experiences in the grotto itself. Mm -hmm. It's some people's wish only to go to the grotto, not necessarily for the water or the processions or other things in Lourdes. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's, it's a massive relic. It's, a, it's the reality, it's the solidness. And of course, Petra, you know, Peter. And, it, and the church is literally built on the rock there in Lourdes. So mm -hmm. um, it is significant to people because that's where she was. Yeah, no, I think that that's, uh, something that people are, are having that physical contact helps them with it. And, you know, something um, uh, you mentioned in the book <clears throat> that goes on every day is that there are two processions a day. Mm -hmm. um, tell us a little bit about those processions. Well, the one procession is the Eucharistic procession, and it so takes... So the Blessed Sacrament yes, is... the Holy Eucharist, mm -hmm. and um, that takes place usually between the end of March around Holy Week all the way through the warm season until um, the summer, until about November 1st. The trumpets blare, the, the music is beautiful. <coughs> There's, um, it's, you know, here comes our Lord. The, the, uh, it's beautiful, it's underneath the canopy, and um, I had never seen a Eucharistic procession, and I think I'm like most typical Catholics, Father. I never seen one before, I didn't know what that was. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's, it's an extraordinary, holy experience for people, and it brings us to the church and into adoration. Mm -hmm. The other procession is at nine o'clock at night where we all get our candles, light them from each other, be the light of Christ to each other, and we pray the rosary together um, in all the different languages and um, process together, and then we come to the doors of the church where we know the tabernacle's on the other side, so it brings us to the church and unites us together. So those mm -hmm. two processions are active, physical ways for us to um, experience and live our faith mm -hmm. and um, be together in the universal church. Mm -hmm. Cool. We have another caller. Steve, you're calling from California? Yeah, I'm Steve from Southern California, and I'd like to ask your guest to give a little detail about the difference between the 70 uh, that have been declared um, a miracle by the church and the 7,200. It's my understanding that they have to be declared a miracle, that they have to be instantaneous and permanent. So I've asked your guest to give a little more detail about the difference. Okay, thanks, Steve. Thank you. Um, well, it's the Lambertini criteria by, um, I think it's Pope Benedict XV that gave us the, the rules that the church has been using. It has to be a serious disease um, that has to have had not the, the treatment intervention that could, could have caused the cure. It has to be a complete, total, instantaneous pure, cure that lasts uh, forever, that it's, um, and, it, it, and the instantaneous is it can't be something where someone progressively got better. And because of the intervention of medicine, oftentimes a person can't qualify, even though it really does look like a miracle and might be, um, it has to be that they haven't had any intervention that could have caused the cure mm -hmm. to happen. Mm -hmm. So it has to be a serious disease at its worst condition, um, and then it has to have not had the intervention, and then it has to, um, oh, Pope Benedict the 14th, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. it's, um, I'm off by one, by one Benedict, so. Uh, um, it's been a couple hundred years. years. <laughs> I'm sorry for that. And then, um, so we followed that strict set of rules. So the 7,000, it's, I think it's almost up to 7,400 now, but the more than 7,200, those are dossiers, official files that were opened by the Medical Bureau 
since the um, since the 1850s, if it's come forward in 1860s, and each of these dossiers or files, there could be very well there all that's needed for a bishop just to say, yes, that was a miracle, but the bishop doesn't choose to go forward. Or some of them could, you know, got through the extensive process. I know someone, um, Steve, someone who went and, and they opened a dossier, they had a very good claim, and they were killed in a car accident a few weeks later. Um, the incredible graces, they had returned to the church in the sacraments. Um, and, you know, so th that was so, that was so huge. And that's a chapter in the book. It was just, it, it's, you got to read this woman's story. It's amazing. But um, so, for example, she has a file there and it's, she had a very profound healing, but it didn't proceed in that process forward, not because it wasn't legitimate, but because she died before that happened. So she mm -hmm. died cured. And more importantly, uh, she died returned to the church and the sacraments. So. Yeah, yeah rec being reconciled to God is, is key. And again, that, uh, that experience of being bathed in Our Lady's purity, that the Immaculate Conception's purity, yes. you know, bathes a soul in a mm -hmm. certain sense. And there are some chapters in there where they have suffered woundedness. You know, some people are victims since they're children or uh, of different experiences in life and they, you know, they find that they're healed of those deep, deep wounds that affect the body and the soul. Sure. So, sure. Um, so, so those 7,000, some thousand files that are there, um, that are, you know, the, the medical documentation that's there, some, many of them, the bishop could have gone forward, but, you know, after three miracles, the, the church didn't feel they needed to keep proclaiming them at Lourdes, but, right. and people don't come forward because they want to be famous or known, like Miracle 70, she's a very humble nun, or all of the miracles that are still living, it's because they, they feel that they can't deny this profound grace and that they right. need to, to be honest and, and speak of it. And, and this is where the, the goal of making these miracles known is to give glory to God yes. our Lord. Yes. Our Lady interceded, but God our Lord is the one who heals. Yes. And you give glory to Him. Mm -hmm. So this is, this is very key. I want to give the information again so that uh, people can go and find out more about uh, Lord and about the North American Lord Volunteers. Go online to lordsvolunteers.org, lordsvolunteers.org, and you will find out information about trips to Lord, mm -hmm. options to volunteer, which criteria you yeah. need to do and all that. And uh, that would be a great way to have that kind of content. And Lord's Water. For some and people Lord's who maybe Water. might be, not be going there, we can bring the message of Lord's where you are or read it and in the book. All right. Well, thank you very much for thank being you. with us. appreciate this. And thank you all. May the Lord bless you and keep you, cause His face to shine upon you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as always, we can bring you this show and all of our shows only because it's brought to you by you, keeping us in between your gas bill, electric bill, and cable bill, and we'll pay our bills too. Thank you.